Well, we're continuing to do our survey, if you will, of the prison epistles and surveying a chapter of it at a time as we consider what it is that went on with Paul at the end of Acts as he stayed there and he was in prison for a couple of years. And so today we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 4. And keep in mind, as I said, this is kind of a survey. It's a very broad, big shotgun type thing that we're looking at, a chapter at a time. We turn a corner today in the book of Ephesians. We've looked at chapters 1, 2, and 3. We begin today with chapter 4. The rest of Ephesians, chapter 4, 5, and 6, are incredibly practical, useful chapters. Not that 1, 2, and 3 weren't, obviously, but 1, 2, and 3 were foundational doctrinal chapters. Here's who God is. Here's what God has done for you. Here's the work of God in your life. Here's the power of the Holy Spirit in the believer. And then what Paul did is he said, all right, once we, once we move past that, that doctrinal foundation that is incredibly important, now we're going to look at these things about why we do what we do, how we live next, what we're supposed to do. Now that we understand who we are, we now get to concentrate on what we do. Paul has explained to us what God has done for us. He's explained to us the power that lives inside of us. He's explained to us the Holy Spirit. He has told us that we've been elevated, that we've been put in the spiritual high places. And he's gone into great detail about the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in us. And then what he says is, because of who you now are, go do. Because of who you are, go do. We can never get that out of order. We can never assume that the Bible is telling us to go do for the sake of doing. That is not it. It is because of who we are. It is because we have been transformed. It is because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. It is because we are light in this dark world. It is because we belong to Him. We are children of God. It's because we've been taken from death and given life from darkness and put into light. Because of all of those things and a lot more, He says, now go do. Practice living this way. Behave like this. Your day-to-day -day life should look like this. And that's what Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 are all about. There's a lot of times when people say, well, I just don't know. Well, that's why we've been given the Bible. People will say, well, I just don't think I can. That's why we've been given the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Well, I just don't think I want to. And that's why we've, we've been taught that we should yield to the Holy Spirit and walk in Him. We can do because of who we are. Never, never, never doubt that. We can do because of who we are. We've been given the Word of God. We've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been given the ability to yield to the Holy Spirit so that these things take place. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. He's the one that started that whole idea that we're going to be different. You're going to know them by their fruit. You're going to be able to look and see who are my followers by what they do, by how they behave, by what their attitude is, by how they think, by what goes on in their life. 
Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4, right there where you are, in verse 1, he says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. The concept that we as believers should live differently is seen everywhere in the Bible. You can't get away from it. It is there. There are people every once in a while that will want to say, you know what, it's just believing in Jesus Christ and then you just sort of live your life and it's okay. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that once we come to grips with who we are and what it is that God has done for us, that we are Christians, we're believers, we're children of God, we're saved, we're transformed, we're redeemed. Once we come to grips with the fact that we've been given the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, well, then we understand that really we're supposed to be different. We really are. We're supposed to be different. Well, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 is just Paul, the prisoner Paul, saying over and over again, here's what your life should look like. This is how you should live. So let's take a look at Ephesians 4. Remember, Paul is in, under house arrest. He is chained to a guard. He has visitors that are able to come and go. He is writing to these folks that he loved um, in this church in Ephesus and the surrounding area. And he is giving them these instructions. And so as I read chapter 4, imagine Paul writing these words or imagine you listening to these words from somebody you know named Paul. Maybe you knew Paul personally and he's writing from his circumstances. And this is what he says, inspired by God. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now the expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become calloused, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, 
you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. This chapter is packed with great stuff. But sticking with our goal and our intent, we're going to go through the entire chapter this morning. He talks about the fact in verse 1, he says, I implore you, I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you that you will walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Some of your Bibles may say, instead of the word walk, live, that you walk or live as you ought to walk or live. Worthy of the calling. Worthy. Understand how you got to where you are. Understand how you were created in this creation that you have been created. Understand what it took for you to be saved, in other words. Understood, understand the depth and the commitment of Jesus Christ for you. What he did for you. He died on the cross for you. He hung on that cross. He endured the beatings and the whippings and the mockery. He put aside all of his divinity so that he might live on this earth for you. And he said, I, I save you. You belong to me. Now walk in a way that reflects that well. Walk in a manner that is worthy of that. The word, word, uh, the word uh, worthy here means of equal balance to the calling. Make your walk just as remarkably amazing as it is of what God did for you. Put aside those things. Live differently so that there's an equal balance here. Paul says, because of who you are, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And then it's like what he does in these next handful of verses. He says, let me explain to you what that, what that walk should look like. Let me explain to you what that life should look like. And he starts right away in verse 2, with humility and gentleness and patience. Attitude matters. I know that really stinks, doesn't it? Attitude matters. I'm just thinking it. Uh, yeah, sure. Attitude matters. And he says that what we need to do is we need to be walking as believers with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. I'm going to turn to a couple of verses for this one. Let's go to John chapter 3. The Gospel of John chapter 3. John 3, verse 30, a verse that you're very familiar with, it says simply this, He must increase, but I must decrease. Walk worthy. 
he must increase, but I must decrease. It matters, your humility, your gentleness, and your patience. Last week, Joe did a great job when he, when he preached in, in my absence and talked about knowing him and being like him and serving him. That's what this is about here. This is what this is about right here. Romans chapter 12. Flip over to Romans chapter 12. Verse 3. Be humble in mind. Be humble in your approach to life. It says in Romans 12, 3, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you that you should not think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think is to have sound judgment as God has allowed each one a measure of faith. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. You're not what you really think you are. Humility. The, the opposite of pride. Understanding that all you are and all you have is from God. Gentleness, strength under control. Patience, a spirit of never giving up. Enduring the circumstances. Paul says that we need to walk as we ought. And, and, and that's going to be represented when we walk with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. And this thing, patience, it's part of the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? God says, when you receive the Holy Spirit, part of what you're getting is patience. He's going to allow you to be patient. He's going to allow you to never give up enduring the circumstances of life. The prisoner Paul knew a little bit about humility, gentleness, and patience. Did he not? And he said, this is how you represent God well. This is how you do it. Listen, these three things... And we could go into a great study on these three things. Humility and gentleness and patience. By and large, those three things are marks of a transformed life. Because we live in a world where it says, assert yourself. You are self-made. Be proud of that. Stand up and shout about it and tell everybody that I did it. And you should be impressed with me because I did it. We live in a world that says, if you're not going to get what you deserve, nobody's going to give it to you. Fight for it. Don't be gentle. Don't be reserved. You go. You bull your way through, and you get what you deserve. And we, we live in a world that says, make your own way. If it's, if, if, if it's not quite going your way, well, you rearrange things, and you, you work things, and you manipulate things so that they'll go your way. You don't need to be patient and wait to see how things are going to pan out. You make it happen. And then the Bible says you should live your life with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. I am convinced that those three things truly are the marks of a transformed life in Jesus Christ. It says then in verse 2 that not only should we walk with these three things, humility, gentleness, and patience, but we should show tolerance for one another in love. Walk with these things in your life. And you need to make sure you practice these things on a regular basis. Why? Because we hang out with people. And people test us constantly when it comes to humility, gentleness, and patience. He says, but it's a good thing to show tolerance for one another in love using these things. 
Here's how you should live your life. Why should we ultimately do that? So that we will, sh- so that we will shine as stars in this world. You ponder that. You take those three things, humility and gentleness and patience, and you just ponder those things and you consider those things and you roll those things around in your mind for the next little couple of days or week or whatever, and you come to grips with what would it mean if we truly did submit to God and and ask the Holy Spirit to change us in such a way that humility and gentleness and patience is how we were living our lives. It would be amazing, wouldn't it? These three things. And oh, by the way, he says, practice these things with people. We We can believe with all of our hearts that the prisoner Paul was practicing these things even while he was a prisoner. He practiced these things as he went through the process of being arrested in an unfair way and, and tried in an unfair way and treated in the unfair way that he was treated as we studied. And here he is writing to the folks in, in that general area of Asia Minor and here he is writing to us still today and he is saying you know what you need to live with humility gentleness and patience these three things will mark you in amazing ways so that you will shine verse 3 he says being diligent to preserve the unity of spirit and the bond of peace because you know what these three things if you find these three things you're going to find unity and peace If you find unity and peace, you're going to find these three things. You cannot separate them. This is how it works. And I don't care what group we're talking about. You want unity and peace in your home? Practice humility, gentleness, and patience. You want want unity and peace at work? Practice humility, gentleness, and patience. You want unity and peace in the church? Practice humility, gentleness, and patience. You want peace in your own soul as you deal with life throughout this next week? Practice humility, gentleness, and patience. And you'll find great peace. This is what we're supposed to do. This is how we're supposed to live, that we might reflect God's grace and shine for him. He goes on in verses 4 through 6, and he talks about the fact that there is one God, one faith, one baptism. This was a big deal. This was a big deal in the Old Testament. This is a big deal in the New Testament that there's this unity. And you've got to keep in mind that, that what Paul is doing is he's writing to a group of people that there were a group of Jews that got saved. There was a group of Gentiles that got saved. We've seen that already in the previous chapters. They come together to form the church. And so Paul is making sure that they understand there's just one God. There's just one faith. And there's just one baptism, both physical water baptism and spiritual baptism. There's just one, he says. You just need to understand there's just one. Th- this is... These are the things that bring us together, he says. These are the unique things. And and there's just one of these things, and as we practice these things, we're going to be forming this thing called the church that God wants formed that is going to absolutely transform society. And we've been seeing it happen ever since Paul wrote these words. But we need to understand what brings us together is the one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism, the one God and Father who is above all. Our one faith in Jesus Christ. That's what brings us together. That's what unifies us. And it's an amazing thing. 
Verse 7, he goes on. This is a great, great, great section of Scripture. What makes the body of Christ the body of Christ? He says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. The Bible talks about, not just here, but in other places, in 1 Corinthians and in Romans, it talks about the fact that we have been given gifts. That we as a body have been given gifts. That Christ has determined that here's a gift that you should have. That Christ who has created us, Christ who saves us, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, we've been equipped by the Holy Spirit, is that Christ is the one who says, all right, you get this gift, and 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 I'm going to give you this gift, and this gift, and away we go, and we have the gifts that we have because Christ has given us those gifts. And he has given us those gifts so that we can serve him in the body of Christ. Gifted people using their gifts, others receiving those gifts, and following and the church becomes what the church should be. What you're going to see in these few verses right here is really the philosophy that drives Areola Bible and a lot of other churches. This is, this is what we believe the Bible teaches us that we should be doing. As God has gifted certain people, we should be doing things. Notice what he says in verse 11. He gave some the gift of, uh, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers. And he's talking about a certain group of gifts right now that, that are the gifts that are, that are the leading and the teaching gifts, the ones that, that lead the people and the ones that people use to teach and equip folks. And he's saying, I have given these people gifts. Why? Why do these people have gifts? The next verse explains it. For the equipping of the saints. Why do the saints need to be equipped? for the work of the service of the building up the body of Christ. So he says, I have given certain people gifts. And those people then take those gifts and they use those to equip the saints. The saints then are equipped and they use that equipping then to do the work of the service of the building up the body of Christ. They then use those, they're equipped to go out and to serve and to work. Why? Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We then understand that the reason why we are equipped, the reason why we're taught, the reason why we minister to one another is so that we will become a mature group and look like Jesus Christ. What then? Verse 14, we then are no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming, but we are growing up into Christ and we're becoming the body we should be. Paul says, let me explain to you how you should practically live here. God has gifted people and those gifted people then teach and, and when gifted people teach, you should accept that and receive that. And then you take that teaching and you practice what you've been taught. And as you apply that in the body of Christ, what happens then is we're becoming unified in the faith. We're becoming mature. And as we are taught and as we minister to one another, we're becoming people that are not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine that we know what we believe, we know what we ought to be doing, and we're serving the Lord with great confidence and ability. This is what the church should look like. Paul says, 
you guys are different than the world. Let me explain this to you. This is how it works. And we accept that. Look what you're all doing right now. You have said, Kent, go ahead, come on up. We recognize that you've been given certain gifts. Why don't you open up the Word of God to us? Why don't you teach us? We'll open up our Bibles. Some of us will write some things down. We'll do, we'll do our thing here. We'll get it. We'll practice it. We'll go out and we'll do, our, do what we're supposed to do with it then. You did that if you were in the Sunday school class this morning. You did the exact same thing. And then we take that. We just don't go through a, a, a religious exercise and then go home and consider our duty done. We then take it. We apply it. We use it. We serve God with it. And God says by doing that, the body is changed. We're solid. We're firm. We know what we know. In effect, that's exactly what Paul's been doing in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. And now he's going on with the rest of it. Here's what needs to happen. This is a great passage of Scripture. This is, this is a great biblical approach to Scripture right here. This is what should be happening. He goes on and he says this, in not only verse 15 when he says that we should grow and become like Christ, he says in verse 16, from, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Okay, what Paul is saying there is simply this. Is that all these people have been put into the body of Christ and all these people have been given gifts and all these people are supposed to use their gifts so that the body will be doing what it's supposed to be doing. And we challenge you with these kinds of things on a regular basis. Are you using your gifts for God? Are you using your gifts for God? If you're a member of the body of Christ, if you're saved, you have a or many gifts that God has given you. Your gift could be, you may not be able to put your gift into a, a, a biblical language, you may, you may be able to say, I love preschoolers. I just want to be with preschoolers. Excellent. We need people like that. Your gift may be, I just, I love, I love making sure that things are taken care of when nobody's around. Excellent. That's your gift. Doing those kinds of things. I love interceding for the saints. I, 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 I would be lost without my prayer bulletin and, 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 and the names of the people that I write down that I can pray with. That's your gift. There's all sorts of, of ways that our gifts are manifested and shown to us. We don't need to make, the, make it too complicated. Generally speaking, what, one of your, what some of your passions are, that's probably some of your gifts. So the question remains. Are you using your gifts for the Lord in the body? That's what needs to happen so that the church can be what the church should be. Paul says this is what makes the church the church. Welcome to the church. Got some things you need to be doing now. And you're not doing those things for the sake of doing. You're doing those things for the sake of the glory of Jesus Christ and thanking him for what he's done for you. Let's go on. Verses 17 through 24 put on, put off section. Verse 17 says this, So I say this and affirm together with the Lord that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Now this is a great verse. Verses 17 and 18. 
19, really good verses, all right? Paul is saying to a group of believers, make sure that you no longer walk like those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Okay? Every single one of us in here could, without a whole lot of effort, explain a couple of things that we would say, well, unbelievers do that and believers don't. Well, uh, believers do that, but unbelievers, they don't do that. Every single one of us could draw that line without any effort at all. Okay? We all understand that. Listen to what Paul says. He says, I affirm together with the Lord, these are, this is what God wants, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles, and when you read the word Gentiles, make sure you understand, he's talking about unbelievers, that you walk no longer like those people who do not know God in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Stop doing that, Paul says. You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And Paul simply says, you know what? There ought to be a difference between you and those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And every single believer would say that. And you know what's interesting? Virtually every unbeliever would say that. Don't we get a lot of slack sometimes from unbelievers who say, well, I thought Christians acted differently. Well, yeah, the Bible does say indeed that Christians should act differently. Why? Because we've been transformed. Well, he just uses some amazing words here, and so I want you to think that if you are continuing to walk as you used to walk, if you are continuing to practice those things that you know God says are not right, what you are doing is you are practicing those things that are part of the futility of the mind. You're practicing those things that are part of a darkened world and that is excluded from the life of God. You're practicing those things that are full of ignorance and hardness of the heart. You're practicing those things that are part of people being calloused. You're practicing those things that people practice because they've given themselves over to sin because they are practicing every kind of impurity with greediness. That's not a category you want to be in. Paul says, because of who you are, live differently. He says in verse 20, hey, but you didn't learn Christ that way. That's not who you are. I understand that you used to be that way, but you got saved, and you've learned about Jesus in a different way, and you now have truth, and you have insight, and you have Holy Spirit. Hey, things are different for you. I just want to challenge you that that's, that's kind of how you used to be. Let me, let me share with you how you ought to be. He says, if indeed, or because you have heard him and been taught with him, just as truth is in Jesus. He says that in the reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in the accordance with the least lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God. It's been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Do you think the Bible teaches us that Christians ought to live differently? It does. It does. And I'm willing to, to say that every single one of us, if we would just take a moment and just be honest and ponder it before God, we would say we struggle with that. Now I struggle with the fact that I know I should be different, but I'm not practicing that in this area or in that area. And you know what God has to say about that? He has to say, all right, that was then. 
You're forgiven. This is now. Let's go forward. There's no condemnation here. Okay, you've been struggling with that thing. Yeah, I get it. I struggle with things too. Okay, what are we going to do about it though? See, the issue really never is what has been going on yesterday. The issue is what is going to go on right now. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do? Because the Bible clearly says you ought to be doing things in a different way. Paul says we need to live differently because we have Christ. We need to live a Christ life. A Christ life. We need to put off and put on. And wouldn't it be nice if we could just make that declaration once and be done with it? That's not quite how life works, does it? How often do I got to put off, Kent? A lot. Regularly. Often. Consistently. How often do I got to be putting on? All the time. All the time. All the time. All the time. What our life, our, our life should be marked by that. Putting off and putting on. 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 Okay? I'm going to stop doing that. I'm not going to do that anymore. I've started going down that path. I'm not going to do that anymore. Okay? And we've been going down that path for so long, sometimes we just do it, and it's just a habit, and we don't even think about it. We need to ask the Spirit of God, teach us. Teach us. Should I be going down that path? Lord, what do I need to be putting off and putting on? What are the specifics in my life so that I can be more like you? Well, he goes on in verses 25 through 32, and he gets incredibly practical. Incredibly practical. Here it is. He said, just in case you were wondering what I'm talking about with put off, put on, just in case you were wondering what I'm talking about when I talk about the new life in Jesus Christ, just about, if in case you're wondering what I mean when I say you didn't learn Christ that way, but you've learned in a different way, let me share some things with you. Verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth with each of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Stop lying. Stop stretching the truth. Stop spinning a yarn. Don't say things to puff yourself up anymore. Stop lying. That's what Paul says. Stop lying. Start telling the truth. There's some of us that we are so used to lying that we don't even know when we're doing it anymore. We just exaggerate. We, we puff ourselves up. We're afraid to say the truth for fear that the person that we're with won't like us or, or something. The Bible says, quit lying. Rather, speak truth. He says in verse 46, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. He says, be angry and don't sin. He's talking about this thing called the righteous anger here. And, and anytime we talk about righteous anger, we need to go back to what Jesus did. And, and Jesus showed some anger, but he was righteous. And here's my, here's my thing for you just to think about. Because people love to talk about the fact that, you know, the Bible says that there's a righteous anger. Yeah, but those of us who aren't Jesus Christ struggle with righteous anger. We're really good at selfish anger. Why? Well, because we're pretty selfish. Jesus was good at righteous anger because Jesus was, well, righteous. So my point in saying that is if you're not acting exactly like Jesus with that anger, you're sinning. And there are very few instances whereby our anger is not a sin. Very few instances. It's possible, obviously. The Bible says it's possible here. But don't let that be an out for you. Really consider some things. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. In other words, don't let it simmer. Don't let it stew. Deal with it. Do something about it. 
And he says, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Here's where we really get into it. If we're allowing anger to be part of our life, we have opened up the doors for Satan to come on in and mess around with us. Because anger is that avenue whereby he's going to go in and he's just going to have a heyday with us. Have a heyday with that. I think that most of us probably struggle with anger in one way or another. And so we can say, and we'll understand this, that anger is not humble, gentle, or patient. If we're practicing humility and gentleness and patience, chances are anger is pretty much a non-issue. Turn with me to James chapter 1 real quick. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it says this, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Paul is simply saying, don't do that anymore. Be different. Practice humility and gentleness and patience. Verse 28, back in Ephesians 28, he, he goes on and he says, He who steals must steal no longer. Stop stealing. If it's not yours, don't take it. In fact, he says, but rather do this, Work with your hands and, and give to other people. Encourage them by giving to other people. So one of the things that's going to mark the Christian community is we're not stealing any longer. We're actually doing things and sharing out, sharing for people and living out grace in our lives. Verse 29, he says, oh, by the way, let's, let's stop using bad and worthless words. Rather, let's use good, beneficial words, encouraging words. Let's not be lazy people who use the words we ought not to use in our lives. But let's encourage people, let's build people up, let's give people grace. Verse 30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit by the way you live, by what you do. Verse 31, here's some things he says you need to get rid of because you now belong to Jesus Christ. Get rid of bitterness, that is resentfulness. Get rid of wrath, that is violent outbursts. Get rid of anger, that is a settled feeling that hangs around. Get rid of clamor, that is a shouting or outburst. Get rid of slander, that's evil speaking of another person. Get rid of malice, that's ill feelings toward another person. Because of who you are, Paul says, well, these things need to go. That's what Paul says. Verse 32, here's a way you should live. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. I think that in chapter 4, it's kind of cool that you can go to verse 2, and it says you should live with humility, gentleness, and patience. And then you can go to verse 32, and, and it says you should be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I think if you do verse number 2 and verse number 32, you got all the rest taken care of in there, okay? That's what we should be doing as Christians, and it's interesting that a verse like verse 32 needs to exist, but it needs to be part of our life. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you because of who you are, because of what has been done to you, you go and do. There's a lot in this chapter. I would think that we would all be busy this week. Let's see what it is that God would have us to do this week with this.
we probably have some work to do. But because of who you are, you can do it. Because of who you are, you can be. Because of who you are, that changes absolutely everything. So go to it. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling, that great high calling by which you've been called by Jesus Christ. Father, thank you so very much that you have laid it out. We don't have to wonder what we should do or how we should live. You've laid it out for us. It's, it's right there. These aren't my words. These aren't some church's doctrines. These are your words. This is how you should live. And so, Father, I just pray that we would take this to heart. We would read this and reread this. We would read the first part of Ephesians and reread it, understand who we are, and then begin to live out the way we should live and do the things we should do for your honor and your glory by the power that is inside of us. Do that work. Change us, we pray in Jesus' name.